Hi, everybody, and welcome to Mecha Dragon, a podcast about all the geeky and nerdy stuff you love. Brought to you by Captain Geek and the Dark Nerd. I'm your Captain Will. And I'm your nerd, Jess. Today, we are privileged to be joined by two special guests. Uh, the first you may remember for some previous episodes, we have Eric Hansen returning, who is a film critic for Screen Hub Entertainment. Welcome back, Eric. Thank you, Will and Jess. It's always a pleasure to be back. What up, E? Great to have you here. So our other guest that we have today is Aaron, who is co-administrator of Alien vs. Predator Galaxy, which you probably have seen at avpgalaxy.net. Welcome, Aaron. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for the invite. It's always nice to be a part of uh, a discussion that where I'm not editing at the end of it, so very much appreciate it. <laughs> well, I hear you I on like that it. one. <laughs> but uh, in this case, I will be editing, so woe is me. But uh, we are here to have a very fun conversation about the Alien franchise today. And, uh, you know, I have to say that personally, I was not too thrilled with the last couple of installments um, in, you know, the film series uh, of these movies. And uh, I certainly want to get your guys' uh, opinions here in a moment, but just to explain what we're doing today, we all have ideas for what a new Alien movie should be. And, you know, that in and of itself is probably not uh, too uncommon. You know, fans of the Alien franchise, I'm sure, have things that they want to see in a new movie. But we have come together in a uh, relatively organized way today to kind of pitch our ideas for what another Alien movie could be. So that's what we're going to do. And we're going to go around the table with all of our ideas and uh, see if we can come up with, you know, some sort of coherent, <laughs> you know, movie story idea by the end of it. So with that said, let's get started by giving each other an idea of where we are right now in terms of what we like in the Alien franchise. So I want to start with Eric and then Aaron and then Jess. And please tell me what is your favorite of the Alien movies and why is that? So Eric first. Well... Okay, you asking me to pick between the first and the second movie is like asking Paul Sheldon which foot he wants Kathy Bates to break. So uh, <laughs> that's not going to happen. <laughs> that is not going to happen. Mm -hmm. But uh, oh, th those first two movies were just a very formative experience for me. Saw them when I was 12. They were my first rated R movies, you know, on a late night matinee. And I never thought that horror could be so empowering and so fun mm -hmm. and so creative, you know, uh, it was just, God, I mean, it's just something that I can't really put into words like that. The, those two movies hit me in the soul the same way Star Wars and Star Trek hit most people. You know, that's my big mm -hmm. science fiction franchise is Alien. It's always been Alien. It's always going to be Alien. Great. So you're basically saying the first two movies together because of what you just said. Yeah, like, like mm -hmm. I said, I, I can't pick my left or right foot on this one. I got to go with both feet. Come on. Yeah. I hear you on that one. In fact, actually, I'll go next, and which is to say that I really, I don't think I can pick between the first two movies either. On the other hand, uh, for the purposes of this uh, podcast episode, I thought, well, if, you know, I had a gun to my head and I had to pick, which one would I pick? And I, I actually picked Aliens, the second one, just because it was able to successfully fuse the horror of the first movie with the action movie genre. Right. Uh, which I thought it did amazingly well. And so if I had to pick one, that would be it. But those first two movies are seminal for me. Uh, Aaron, I I'd like to hear what your thoughts are on this. 
I'm going to have to go one step further than you, Pear, and say I couldn't pick between the first three films. Oh. Um, oh. I know Alien 3 has, it, has its issues and it's got its whole story behind the um, the development and it's it was a train wreck to get to the end. But there's so much in the third one that I, I think still holds up quite well and I think it forms a very nice trilogy in terms of um, Ripley's character development and character arc. Mm. And personally... I really love how brutal Alien 3 is, how it really pushes that life is unfair aspect of of the series. And, and it's a, an angle of the realism that I think really works. And something I, I quite like in Res- not Resurrection, um, Covenant as well. I like how brutal that is. Um, mm-hmm. But to pick a favourite, I'd probably watch Aliens more because I also like all my hoorah um, kind of stuff and, and my gun <laughs> porn with all the pulse rifles. But I think Alien probably has more of the thematic elements that I like the most when it comes to the Alien series. Interesting. So I think I'd pick Alien. Mm-hmm. But, for, for the thematic material. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, that's fascinating. You know, once we get into the meat of this a little bit, I... I'm even more interested now to get Aaron's perspective on my ideas because I was thinking the same thing in terms of I like a lot of the uh, the plot elements and the action and the space marine stuff in the second one. But thematically, I really like the first one a lot. And so I kind of tried to combine those elements in a certain way. So I'm curious to see what you guys think about how that uh, shook out. But so let's go to uh, let's go to Jess next. What's what's your favorite alien movie and why? All right. I'm with Eric. Aliens have always been my favorite of the uh, space critter horror action movies. Growing up, Alien was the first movie I saw that scared my pants off. And uh, when I got into Aliens, when I was a year or two older, that's what I fell in love with. Because like you said, it's, it's the horror and the action. And I had little alien toys and I had all my G.I. Joes and I would reenact all the scenes you know, from Aliens uh, when I was a young kid. Mm -hmm. And out of all the movies, I think the first four really focused on the aliens. You know, Alien 1 through 3 and then Resurrection. And that's what I really like in an alien movie is (laughs) Is more aliens. (laughs) Uh, With Prometheus and Covenant, they're kind of going off in a different direction, like mentally almost. It's more of a mind mind trip watching those than it is just a wanton alien carnage hmm. uh so but, more wanton alien carnage for yeah you. yeah i like <laughs> i like aliens i like the you know the marines in there just murdering aliens and aliens murdering marines it's a lot of fun and uh that's always been my favorite and especially in the end when ripley's fighting the queen mm-hmm. that's just one of the cool cool scenes in any horror film. Well, just sort of uh, going with that, let's go right into the next question, which is, and I think you may have mentioned a couple of, of these things already in your answer as to why you love that movie, but what do you think a good alien movie absolutely needs to do to be a good alien franchise movie? Well, look at the first movie. It's, we all have problems choosing between one or the other, uh, cause they're both fantastic between that and aliens, but in Alien, the actual alien was only on screen for, what, eight seconds, you know, throughout the 
movie, you hardly that ever might see be it. That an exaggeration, but yeah, it right. wasn't much. It was the you know equivalent yeah. of Jaws. Yeah. Yeah, you only see it for a little bit, and it terrified everybody. And it's you know one of the greatest horror films mm-hmm. in the genre. It doesn't take a whole lot, but obviously you just need to set the tone. Okay. I think any any other elements that you think are uh, an absolute must for an alien movie? Uh, I think a little bit of the unknown. You know, when they they know something's going on, and you know, you know one person gets sucked up into the vent over here, and they disappear. No one knows what's happening. I think the unknown also makes it a little more scary because you don't like what before they show the alien on screen, you haven't seen it. You don't know exactly what it is. Well, neither do the people in the, in the movie themselves. So you learn with them and you're just as scared as they are. So, yeah. Okay. That's got, uh, Aaron, what do you think a good alien movie absolutely needs to respect the creature? I think first of all, Mm. the problem with, I'll I'll say now I like covenant, but Mm -hmm. I don't like it when it becomes Alien Covenant. So I'm quite happy with it. Ah. All all the Neomorph stuff and um, all these pre-Alien type things. Because I like that element of the world building of, the, of their genesis. But when the Alien shows up, it becomes quite clear that this is Ridley Scott conceding to the studios from up above at this random mandate that the problem with Prometheus was that it had no aliens in it and it gets mm. shoehorned in. I mean, there's some nice shots of it, sure, but in general, I don't think it's well-respected and I think his disdain for the alien, you know, is is quoted as saying, um, the beast is done, the beast is cooked, all that kind of thing. I think it really shows up in how he handles the alien in Covenant. So mm-hmm. that's why I don't trust him to do a third prequel why I would really hesitant if he did come back and try and conclude his series. Because I think what he did with it, you know, with it being a creation of David, it's, it's not the alien. It's not a alien anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, for me, it's, you know, respect your creature, respect your backstory. If you want to go tell a Blade Runner film, go make a Blade Runner film. <laughs> Leave it. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, agree. Uh, Eric. I think Aaron hit a lot of my thoughts on the head. Uh, You know, definitely respect the alien, respect the mystery, because, you know, the great thing about the the first movie is is the title is not just a noun, it's also an adjective. And the adjective describes everything in the movie. It's an alien movie. Everything about it is unknown except this old rinky-dink spaceship, which is falling apart as the movie progresses, you know, Mm -hmm. and it makes the characters, you know, seem significantly less safe in where they are. Right. Well, let's see. I think... uh, Definitely bring back the used future aspect of those first two movies because both Prometheus and Covenant, they look too new. The ships look too new. They, they don't look used or beat up. And in some right. regards, that makes sense. But those first two movies, everything looks like it's falling apart. It looks mm-hmm. very used and industrial, and it's a great aesthetic. And I, Yeah, and I think that that contributes a lot to the thematic material too, but please continue. Which is one of the reasons the game Alien Isolation is so excellent is the design of it is brilliant. Mm-hmm. But I think the number one thing that I think an alien movie should strive to do is give the alien a reason to be there, like a reason that kind Mm. of says something about your lead character. Because the first movie is about corporate exploitation of the working class. So your lead character has to destroy this company asset to protect her own life. That's an interesting story. The second movie, in particular, the, the director's cut, is about the lead character overcoming her past trauma. And in the case of the director's cut, 
dealing with her feelings of guilt of not being there when her daughter died, which is why I think the fight between Ripley and the Queen is especially potent. And even Alien 3, which I have issues with, is about, you know, the feeling that this lead character cannot escape her trauma to the point that that trauma is now festering within her and that the only way to truly defeat it is to take it out with her. Those are, you know, three really effective ways that the creature is tied in with your lead character. It's not just there to kill people. It's there to say something about your hero. And this is, of course, mm -hmm. carried through in Alien Isolation when Amanda Ripley, her story is about, you know, lack of closure and she cannot defeat the beast until she's found that closure because the beast is the obst obstacle she needs to overcome. That would be my number one thing for an alien film. Fantastic. I, you know, I don't have too much to add to everything that you guys have, have just said, but because of the, the way some of the ideas were developed in those first two movies, I really think that Wayland yutani is a great presence to have in the movie as this antagonistic force that's kind of you know, trying to get our main characters to do something that's, at the end of the day, really against their own best interests and, you know, could end up getting them killed easily. And I like the inclusion of characters who are like either working class or, you know, some group of undesirables or something. And I think that helps the movie set up some of the things that it does best. But those are the only couple things I would add to what you guys said. Jess, what do you think an alien movie absolutely needs to avoid to be good? Something it needs to avoid is becoming Prometheus and Covenant. But in yes. what way? Like Aaron said, you got to respect the creature. And in the past few films, they haven't really, you know, what I want to see is more of the alien itself. And they haven't had as much of it in the last two films. They've kind of been straying away from just, you know, fighting the alien. And I think the alien itself is the type of creature that's not going to ever stop. And I want to see more of the action coming from it. And I think these last two films with Prometheus and Covenant have kind of been doing what you shouldn't do with an alien movie to really keep true fans of the alien itself, you know, stuck into the, the rest of the franchise. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I something that really uh, struck a accord with me was when Aaron said Covenant was great until it was Alien Covenant. Uh, and right. then it was and then it was just a little bit wonky. So yeah, and it's like in Alien 3, I love that movie as well. And then when you get into Alien Resurrection when they have the I guess mutant Sigourney gives birth to the the big baby alien I call it. Uh that freakish monstrosity. I thought that was really cool and it really brought on, you know, more of the biology of the alien and how they can kind of take take some of the DNA of whatever they infect and that becomes part of the finished product. So you're saying these these things are what was missing from the other movies or what is it that an well, alien from the, movie needs from the to latest have? movies there just wasn't any of that new mystery surrounding the aliens. I see the mystery. It's yeah. just like, oh, there's the alien. Run away. Okay. Okay. But I'd like to learn more about it, and they haven't been doing that in the last few, so it hasn't really, they haven't resonated with me, and I'm not as thrilled with them as I could still be today watching the original trilogy. I see. Aaron, what does an alien, a good alien movie absolutely need to avoid? For me, I think the main thing is telegraphing who the final girl is going to be. It's been a problem with everything since AVP. And I guess that's more a marketing problem than a necessarily a film problem. 
but it doesn't help that the films mm. these days tend to skew. You know, they're still female centric, but they tend to skew more towards a higher male character count, and it kind of makes it. So one of these three girls is making it through to the end. All right, mm-hmm. I see. I, I hate that. But just to also slightly disagree and maybe contradict myself a little bit here, <laughs> and by disagree I mean disagree with Jess, is in terms of your gimmick. So each film, yes, it's done something with the alien. You know, we got the Queen in Aliens, we got the um, the DNA reflex in Alien Three, then we got the um, the newborn in in Resurrection, and to some extent, you know, Covenant did toy a little bit in trying to explain its origins, but then when you get to Chet in Requiem, this abomination of a concept with the egg barfing rubbish right. is just awful, awful. <laughs> so I think. While I understand the appeal and how each film has done something different, you've got to be smart about your gimmick. You know, right. Chet, Chet in particular is a contradiction to everything else and because Chet's method of reproduction is it's so much easier and, and more efficient than than the Queen and the eggs. You know, he's a walking facehugger himself with turnaround time of 10 minutes for all everybody he infects and stuff like that. Right. So... Be intelligent with it. Don't contradict the other films for the sake mm-hmm. of, you know, the rule of cool and, and new is better and all those other Barney Stinson kind of um, rules of living. So, yeah, those would be my two things. Fantastic. Eric. All right. Well, my big thing, stop trying to explain everything. <laughs> just just let the mystery <laughs> yeah. speak for itself. I mean, because what a lot of people fail to realize about that first movie is that one of the reasons it, it has lasted so long is because of all the unanswered questions. Unanswered mm-hmm. questions are scary. You know, the space jockey was much more creepy when we didn't know who it was, what it was, or where it came from, or why it was there. Like, mm-hmm. the, it lets the imagination go nuts. So instead of, you know, building films around explaining stuff, you know, figure out, you know, what the story is going to say about your lead and why it matters. Because if you make a movie just to explain things, which was, to me, what the prequels were... Well, then you basically just have, you know, a whole movie that's based around exposition with very little given to the emotional weight of a story. That would be my big thing. Excellent. Uh, That's basically what I was going to say about the mystery. So why don't we start, Jess, with your little, like, elevator pitch of what you would love to see as a new Alien movie. So just in, like, a you know, two or three sentences, giving us an idea of what that movie uh, might be. Well, I probably, I'm glad I went first because I probably have the least fleshed out idea because I'm not super great at this. But the Alien vs. Predator movies could have been better. And I was thinking, why not try Alien vs. something else? Like we just recently did our R2-D2 versus the world episode <laughs> where R2-D2 is up against Pretty all sure sorts R2-D2 of other robots. Pretty sure lose in that matchup. Right. But what about if it was Aliens vs. Terminator? You know, they did a comic. It was awful. Well, that's, <laughs> like I said, they got to do it right. They got to do it smart. But uh, I don't know. I think something like that would be fun as a side thing. But as far as... But you've uh, got things like species that really work well with Alien. You know, not only do they share Giger as a creator, um, but there's this whole... Um, I suppose it comes more into the Prometheus side of things, but the whole creation kind of aspect of, right. of species yeah. and thing as well. That'd probably be a good shout. Yeah, that's a good idea. That's but, interesting. 
I think the the best idea aside from that would basically just be aliens finally reach Earth and we got to deal with it. Now, that would be frightening. I mean, it's, talk it's, about stakes, right? Yeah, they got to do it a little better than Battle Los Angeles, though. <laughs> But okay. that would that would be something that would be ridiculously crazy, and I don't know. Of course, that would be in the future. So that's interesting. Like, what if they were the the whole thing was like they're on the brink of being at Earth, like the whole movie, like maybe they're on the moon or in orbit or something. Yeah. That's interesting. I know that was basically the end of uh, Resurrection, right? <laughs> but there, could, I guess there could be a whole movie in that. That is interesting. Aaron, what's your pitch? So I I have two sort of kind of ideas. Oh, do it. Going off of Jess's there is I wouldn't necessarily want something on Earth, but I would be interested in seeing a film or a series, whatever whatever form suits it, um, around the aliens actually taking out a, you know, a, a densely populated area. So maybe a more mm. uh, developed colony world than, than Hadley's Hope was. Something with, you know, um, multiple continents, multiple townships, higher population and and how they would successfully you know do that and it, that could be kind of i know maybe some of the contagion shows or films would be a good sort of analog for that kind of thing oh um, interesting um, my second idea is to do with in terms of religion and cult aspects now this this isn't necessarily a film building on film things but it, it would in terms of you know like the the lovecraftian elements from alien and uh, the Elder Gods kind of thing. But the Expanded Universe dipped its toes in a, a few times in terms of religion surrounding the aliens and um, cults and stuff like that. So I'd be very interested in seeing a film that, that built on that kind of thing and built on, you know, the Elder Gods aspect of, of the series. That's, you know, what I like about both of those ideas is that they take the classic elements that we want to see from an alien movie and they get still give us something new, right? So on one hand, you have your cult aspect where maybe there's this cult worshiping the xenomorph and God knows what rituals and things that they have and how it all goes wrong. And on the other hand, you have, well, what if the aliens actually landed in a big city on a big, huge settlement and they just got loose, and both of those seem incredibly frightening to me. What if the aliens got loose on Jurassic World? <laughs> that's that's yeah. another versus movie, I guess. Yeah, the and then they, one of the Jurassic aliens Park. impregnates the uh, T-Rex. And then what happens when you have a T-Rex-sized alien? All right. Now the answer would is be considerably difficult given how small the facehugger is. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> have to jump down the T-Rex's throat. It's, yeah, it just crawls in. <laughs> well, and then my... the predators show up. My uh, my pitch is uh, getting really back to the basics of it, and I really wish I would have thought of one of the two things that Aaron just mentioned, but essentially, you know, I'm thinking you've got some, again, I kind of mentioned that I was trying to fuse the elements from the first two movies that I really liked, and, you know, I'm thinking there is a group of space marines on this barren rock, you know, out in the middle of space somewhere, and they are not like top of the line special forces. They're kind of a band of misfits that's out there as punishment, you know, like in the ass end of space. And, you know, they they have some company scientists with them working on some, you know, obscure little project. And, you know, she's probably also being punished when, you know, maybe there's an eclipse or some event and they 
they get a signal or they detect something strange and they go uh, looking for it, you know, and multiple people get infected. But the the element that I'm adding here that would be, you know, a little different from the other alien movies that we've seen is that at the beginning, multiple people get infected, but then one of them shown so- shows signs of actually having some type of limited genetic resistance to the alien implantation. And so that becomes a big part of the plot, and they're trying to, you know, preserve this information so they can maybe have a cure or whatever, but then um, it doesn't quite work out that way. So that's mine. But now I would like to hear Eric's pitch. All right, well, my, my idea was actually kind of similar to Aaron's first idea about, uh, about the aliens reaching a settlement. But uh, the style that I would like to see such a thing, it is actually based on a lot of the supplemental material from Alien Isolation, because I know that Will and Jess have yet to play Alien Isolation. Oh, uh, I played it. Criminal. Oh, okay. Absolutely criminal. Well, well, <laughs> well Will hasn't played it, so we will harass him incessantly about this until he does. And I but, deserve it. <laughs> but one of the great things about Alien Isolation is a lot of the supplemental materials you pick up from the colonists on Sevastopol that have since died, they really paint a picture of a very slow, methodical, and almost subtle invasion of this you know station that nobody noticed until it was already gone right and that is what i would like to see in an alien movie i want to see an invasion of the body snatchers style scenario where Hmm. a single alien arrives and then the takeover is slow people start you know not coming into work nobody knows where they are large swaths of people start going missing areas of a colony start you know getting deserted and slowly filtered out until finally about halfway through you have your lead characters with just a a whole settlement full of these things trying to chase them down then they're ducking down alleyways and hiding hiding in buildings while the aliens are roaming the streets in search of whoever's left like a pod people movie i think a pod people movie would be absolutely perfect to model that's terrifying to use yeah. as a model for an alien movie. Now, who here has seen the 1978 Body Snatchers? Oh, with, I uh, have. That's one of the most terrifying movies I've ever seen. Yeah. Aaron, you seen that one? 78. With Donald Sutherland? And, and for oh, all yes. right, incidentally. A thousand years ago, maybe. But I think the newer ones are fresher on my mind than the old one. I must be honest. It's 40, 42 years ago, actually. <laughs> well time, time travel plays into my uh, my movie watching <laughs> right. gotcha Good. oh you meant human years oh gotcha like uh, I think prior to Alien the 1978 Body Snatchers was a contender for the greatest science fiction horror film ever made and then Alien of course dethroned mm-hmm. it the, the following year but there's still a lot of stuff in that movie that is deeply unsettling and I think that would be something really interesting to see in an Alien movie where instead of having this very sloppy blitz because usually in right. an alien movie, when you see a takeover, like in Resurrection, AVP, and AVPR, it's very quick and very messy. And I'm like, no, what if it was slow and subtle? Because these things aren't dumb. They are, they're a lot more smart than most people give them credit for. So when they're mm-hmm. establishing a colony, they are going to be careful. They are going to be quiet. And it's only when they have superior numbers that they're going to finally come out in the open and say, well, fuck it. We're just going to start grabbing people off the street. Sounds like a cross between alien, a quiet place and uh, taking place in a more urban setting. Yeah, you could say that. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, the more we talk about this idea of the aliens in a huge population center, the more I'm loving it. And I think it would be great to use Body Snatchers as well as like a Contagion-type movie as the template. And I think you could get a lot of mileage out of that. And in fact, that might even be just the, t- the right kind of 
you know, innovation you need to keep this franchise going because at least the way that it has been going, it feels to me a little bit tired. Yeah. Maybe that's just Ridley Scott, though. Um, it's, it's Ridley being bored with the alien. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think that if you're bored with a franchise, that is your cue to go make a bunch of movies in it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think it's weird. I think the big issue with Alien, a lot of the you know films, you know since at least the '90s, is when when people get on board, they don't seem to have a lot of ambition. I don't think a lot of filmmakers who have touched this series have really understood how good it is and how good it can be if you have the right ambition and drive to make something special and not just a schlocky B movie. Because you look at AVPR, which I would say is objectively the worst film in the series. Mm-hmm. It's a schlocky, messy, stupid, unimaginative B-movie with yeah. no ambition whatsoever aside from Predator fan service. Problem with the AVPs, though, is the studio neutered them so much. Requiem was a case of, you're going to be here, you're doing this, you've got no choice, just work with what you've got in terms of the brothers. So, you know, they were kind of ham-fisted from the start of it. This is your script, you're making this, you're not doing anything... Um, the the fans want you know, no spaceships no um, there was even a rack um, floated as like a um, sort of setting which could have been really interesting you know a, alien and predators duking it out in the middle of um, that kind of conflict and then with AVP you know the first one it's um, it's a, it's got to be earthbound we're not going off into space do it on the cheap so yeah. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, and actually, uh, that prompts me to uh, skip ahead on our outline a little bit. Well, just a little bit. So first, um, I had a really strange idea. Sorry to interrupt, but this just popped into my head mm-hmm. uh, while Aaron was saying that. What if the next AVP movie, we have a slightly more advanced type of alien that's you know a little more thoughtful, so to say. And it's in a future where humans have somehow managed to capture aliens and predators. And they basically do like dog fights with them, put the alien versus predator in their little little match. And the alien and the predator have to team up and escape. So we'd fighting. be rooting for the xenomorph and the predator. Yes, yes. <laughs> they start off, you know, fighting each other, but they have to join together and uh, be friends to escape. And then there's eternal peace. So basically, basically the defiant ones with an alien and a predator. Right. Except... <laughs> it's it's just it... the jokester of the, the podcast. Can I just find this out up front? Yeah, I, I'm the okay. dark nerd. Yeah, he's he's the, uh, the the resident troll. Some people call me okay, the I, snark I, I, knight. I'm just making sure before uh, <laughs> I jump through the screen and I throttled him before anybody uh, yes, heard I... the idea. I want to do that almost every second of every day. Um, <laughs> no studios. We don't really want that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, come on. So, so, but here's the question that I have, though. So in these alien stories that we've pitched, so who are the main characters? And other than the Xenomorph, is there another, you know, an- antagonist like Wayland yutani in the background or something? And then, you know, once you... Tell us who those characters are. What makes them compelling? Like, why is the audience going to care about them? Let's start with Eric this time. Okay, well, uh, mine is actually kind of interesting because I was interested in Neil Blomkamp's... Yes, Neil Blomkamp's 
I was interested in his retcon idea, even though I don't think he was necessarily the right person to do it because his filmography was very mixed. Well, he wasn't the right person to write it, that's for sure. And let's see, I would say if you're going to do a retcon, do it if there's a story worth telling. Like, who here has seen the 2018 Halloween film with Jamie Lee Curtis? Not I. Negative. Well, that movie ignored every single sequel in the series. Like, it ignores them, it ignores them all and, you know, cuts out all the stuff about, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis being the killer's sister and all of that nonsense and just, you know, does a direct sequel to the original. But it actually does some really interesting things with her character, with PTSD and struggling to have a good relationship with her daughter and granddaughter. So it actually felt like, okay, here's a good reason to do it. So if you do a retcon, don't just do it for fan service. Do it if there is a story worth telling. So my idea could be either way, but I was actually thinking of having an aged Hicks and an aged Newt as the lead characters. And here's why. Mm. Because I thought it would be interesting to show them both trying to deal with their trauma from the Hadley's Hope incident and both doing it wrong, but doing it on the opposite ends of the spectrum. Have Hicks be someone who is obsessed and, and wigged out and, you know, a broken wreck of a man, whereas Newt is repressing her emotions because he's afraid to face that, you know, she may have got out alive, but her, her, her whole family still died. So you have these two people who are dealing with their trauma in um, wildly different ways and both wildly unsuccessful ways and through, you know, being thrust into this situation are forced to deal with it. And the ironic thing is the two have to meet in the middle. Like, like Hicks has to learn to let go, whereas Newt has to learn to accept. And in meeting in the middle, that's how they, you know, end up making their way out. Fascinating. Yeah, I like that idea. Anything to do... uh, Sorry, just to compliment um, Eric there. You know, the PTSD stuff is always brilliant when it comes to uh, alien concepts. And it's something I always love is when, you know, the previous encounters actually follow through on characters. So that is that is something I would really like. Yeah. And one of the things that uh, a lot of people had talked about when I was on AVP Galaxy is there was a certain distaste for the, uh, for the idea of Ripley, Hicks, and Newt going off on these wild alien killing adventures. And I'm like, no, let, let's show that these two people are fucked up. They are messed up mm-hmm. from what they went through. And they have to deal with a lot of, a lot of grief. Like, that they're, they're not okay. They're alive, but they're not okay. And mm-hmm. kind of tear down that idealized image that a lot of people had. Yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? You know, everybody envisioned it as this, um, I guess, maybe Robinson family kind of thing, where they're all <laughs> in love Space with each family other. Space Robinson, that was yeah. the term they used. Yeah. I mean, they, they kind of revisited that kind of concept with Aliens Defiance, a, a comic series, where it was a group of people who were on a little bit of a crusade to try and keep the alien out of Wayland's hands and, and it was that kind of thing and that was mm. quite interesting because you know one of those characters was um she was crippled and she was having to deal with she was a marine who was crippled on her first outing and she was having to deal with you know that kind of mental anguish of i'm useless now and using that to combat something that that would hurt the people that had sort of you know made her feel that way kind of thing so the concept has legs um, in terms of that kind of thing, but doing it in a realistic and more mature way is the key. It seems to me there's something about the Alien franchise that really lends itself to characters dealing with trauma. And, you know, obviously you you meet the Xenomorph and you're going to be traumatized. But I, I just mean that in, in the vein of what you fellas are saying, 
There's something about the type of stories that that the Alien franchise is told that I think makes them a fascinating crucible in which to watch people deal with with trauma in different ways. And so I would absolutely love to see something like that. Jess, did you have any specific characters in mind for your pitch of the movie where you could talk about what makes them so compelling and who they uh, are? No, I, I really didn't. I didn't get that deep into mine. It's hard for me to uh, come up with that unless I have a full-fledged story in my head, and I just I just couldn't find one. I was digging for it. But yeah, I like in Alien works. Isolation how they used Amanda Ripley, who was... Uh, uh, what was her first name from the first movie? Well, maybe I could ask what's your favorite? Ellen. 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 <laughs> Last me. Okay. okay, it was Helen Ripley. <laughs> I am going <laughs> to... I am going to look up your address on Google and drive over there. <laughs> oh, I'll email it to you. <laughs> Bring beer. Oh, I think I just got it. Okay, I'll see you in about five hours. Yeah. <laughs> okay. With my so brass sure. knuckles. So make sure to run your webcam so I can mm-hmm. watch um, but anyways, anyways, so with that said, though, do you have a favorite main character out of all the Alien movies then, and why you think maybe that's the one that is your favorite? Um, from Aliens, I really did like the Hicks and Newt characters. They were cool, and uh, the spin on that that we just got from Eric, dealing with the PTSD, mm-hmm. I thought that would be a great way to bring back a little bit of the old Alien feel with familiar characters, and... Uh, it does feel like a bit of a waste, doesn't it, that we never got to see how those characters yeah, you know, they, dealt with everything that just happened to them. Because, in, of course, the beginning of Aliens 3, they're basically dead. I would say in that in the context of that film, it actually worked because that film was about it was about Ripley. No, and, it did. You know, Absolutely. It was about her, I'm just about, saying... her, about her sense of loss. Had they done a different film and dealt, about, dealt with it better, obviously, but I was actually okay with their deaths in that movie my issues with alien 3 were a bit more nuanced i would say mm-hmm. no i love aliens 3 actually i just um i i just think that it's a- alien 3 singular yes yes thank you alien 3 i love that movie I, I i do think that there are were opportunities to deal with those other characters that died before the movie began though that's all yeah. i'm saying so can you Eric and Aaron, then, can you guys specify what is the time period during your movies that you're pitching here that you're talking about? Well, mine's pretty simple. It would be about, you know, the time that has passed between now and Aliens, because that's how much the characters have aged from that point. That makes sense. Aaron? Always post-Alien 3. We ignore Resurrection (laughs) and the, um, the whole for all intents and purposes she wiped out the Aliens comment, and we just... We go from there. (laughs) Yeah. My take on this for the idea that I kind of pitched briefly was that basically almost any time after Aliens, you know, but at least like 30 years after that. Otherwise, and I, I don't. I don't think it necessarily overlaps with any of the other movies because I was also going with the assumption that I would have to abide by all of the canon established so far. So I didn't include, uh, you know, the the characters from Aliens or, any, or Ripley or anything like that. Okay, here's a question, actually, that I did not write on our little prompts, but I'm, I'm wondering, it just occurred to me, and I want to get your guys' take on it. What role, if any, should Wayland yutani play in, you know, the, the film ideas that, that you have had? Eric? Yeah, that's actually something that I'd already thought out. Because my idea was that after Aliens, you know, Wayland yutani had, you know, suffered some massive legal ramifications for the whole incident 
which was, you know, jump-started by Burke, and um, that, you know, Ripley, Hicks, and Newt had, not, had uh, signed non-disclosure agreements, but Ripley, who's largely absent from the story, had spent years behind the scenes tying up the company with so much litigation that the company is basically dying. And that's what actually kickstarts the story, because how the alien comes into play is the fallout from the destruction of Hadley's Hope ends up falling on the derelict craft and contaminates the cargo hold, destroying the viability of most of the eggs except one. So the egg is now in a vault, you know, labeled as an unknown company asset. And then as the company starts to go downhill, the they receive orders to liquidate the package. And the kind of antagonistic figure, who's not a all-out villain, he's a bit more complicated, not knowing what the package is, arranges for it to be transported to this planet where the story takes place on, and then kind of like dupes Hicks and Newt to going there to try and get information about the package. And then, of course, the package is opened, the facehugger escapes, and general havoc is wreaked. And then this character is forced to see the destruction wrought by his efforts to get a piece of the pie. That was what I thought. Oh, interesting. Okay. Hmm. Okay. What do you think, Aaron, in your pitch? Or pitches? I would say no to either i mean mm. in terms of in terms of the religion one it would be the the, the right. cult itself would be you know the um the primary antagonist mm. and their representatives uh, priests whatever you want to call them in that i haven't really delved too deeply into that mm. and in terms of the the high uh, the colony takeover kind of thing i mean it could be wayland but the problem is you don't want to pile it all on you know one of the other reasons isolation was good was because you know it expanded the world it introduces us to uh, seeks and fleshed out all that backstory in the various logs and stuff like um, eric mentioned earlier that they were in the game so i'd probably be more inclined to have it be a different company it could even be a government or something because at the end of the day the same themes that um, kind of work in terms of uh, you're not trusting your boss and the boss not caring about you know the the minions could still apply with some other random company or some government because god knows it's realistic um <laughs> uh-huh. so I, I wonder if i could pitch uh you and eric uh an idea i just had for this pitch idea of this sequel idea where it is on one of these you know in one of these you know colonies that's densely populated what if it's also during wartime and you have an enemy force either already occupying, you know, the, uh, the the city or maybe, you know, moving into attack. It just creates a whole new level of chaos and danger and possibility for the alien to get out of control and, you know, get out and, you know, beyond the borders to somewhere else. What, what's your, what are you guys' thoughts on that? Because it, somebody made a comment about there was even thought of putting an avp movie like in the middle of the iraq war or something and that's what it made me think of so that that's interesting as well because it could then raise the questions of what if one of them successfully contained it and then the question comes up is do they utilize it as a weapon you know that's mm-hmm. something that wayland's always going uh, well one of the story elements that is, is in the expanded universe in the films you know is they want it for a weapon mm-hmm. so that that would fit in thematically there but it would add some depth to it in terms of the characters actually trying to decide, do we do this? Yeah, that's that's kind of similar to what I was thinking with the involvement of Wayland yutani uh, Like Eric said, basically, they've probably been through the rigmarole with all this stuff on Headley's Hope. So they might have 
been just a dying company that probably got absorbed by some military that wanted to come in and, you know, they saw money yeah. in the alien. They would want to weaponize that, definitely. I think the idea would move it a little away from the pod people or contagion type, you know, story template. But nevertheless, Eric, what do you think? I think that could actually expand on a lot of the thematic elements that were present in the first three movies, which were, you know, corporate exploitation of the working class. It could be, you know, how in war, you know, civilians are often bowled over without a second thought. And the alien could be like kind of the representation of that. Whereas all these civilians are getting picked off by this monster, but the people are too busy fighting each other to notice that it's even happening. Could be right. an additional way to kind of like disguise the invasion. Inadvertently, they're actually aiding it. Yeah, and what if the uh, the people defending their homes, you know, the resistance or whatever, are the ones who end up releasing the alien? Yeah, there, I think there's a lot of thematic potential, I guess. But that just occurred to me, so I wanted to get your yeah. thoughts on it. One interesting thing I thought of, too, was it's like, you know, an alien, that's the first first appearance of the alien. It just picks them off one by one, and that continues on into aliens. But then they send in the Marines after this whole uh, settlement has been taken over. They didn't know what they were up against. They just went in, and they were fighting basically blind against an enemy they knew nothing about. It'd be cool to see something along the lines of aliens, but with a crew that knows what they're up against is prepared and has the proper things to defend against it. And as they're working their way through taking out the aliens, they discover something else about the aliens that we haven't seen yet that, you know, becomes well, to me, a situation like overcome. that would mean would be something like maybe they have some archival information from Wayland Utani, but they still don't really know what they're up against. You know right. what I mean? Kind of overestimating their own preparedness. That's what that says to me. Yeah. But here's one of the most important questions about an alien sequel, guys. How will your pitch or pitches make the alien as frightening as it should be? Aaron? That's a really difficult question and probably the most <laughs> difficult of, of the lot. And I don't know, because I feel like that's probably more of a cinematographer kind of thing mm -hmm. in terms of its visual presentation rather than mm -hmm. necessarily anything the story does because of itself you know it's already it's already threatening but it's already been there and done that so could the um could the visuals make it refreshing you know in sorry to keep going back to it but isolation you know presented the alien in a very terrifying way because it showed it not only as a killing machine but it showed it with um supreme grace and there's some fantastic moments of like the alien slinking out of a vent and unfolding as it does it and sort of cartwheeling over in itself as it does it. And it's just mesmerizing to watch. But then there's also a visual... Sounds terrifying. Oh, it's, oh. it's brilliant. Yeah, the aliens, it is a beautiful creature. Mm. And nobody is going to complain about <laughs> anybody talking about isolation. Let's just get that out there. In fact, let's just talk <laughs> about isolation forever. <laughs> Very happy with this. Right. The, the first film, and again, Isolation, presents it as being tall. You know, it's, it's mm -hmm. always above you looking down. Right. And that is, um, I think, a very simple but very effective method of visually making the alien frightening. Story-wise, though, I think it'd probably be... I mean, while I don't necessarily have all the story ideas and, and characters and stuff in place, you know, uh, for me, it's my, my cult one, you know, it's around a lot of the visuals of massive alien statues, you know, implying they've been here 
forever. And again, digging into mm. that Lovecraftian thing of making them here for all time. Fuck David. And, um, you know, like a, a repeating cycle of um, cleansing, I suppose, of sorts. Mm. So you're saying in a way, with with these comments on the cult, you know, pitch, make it even more mysterious, I think, is is what you're saying. Is that kind of the gist of it or am I misunderstanding? I mean, definitely the, the mystery is the element of it and... You don't necessarily need to explain, you know, the backstory of, of all this stuff. But just for me, one, one of the big comics that I've always loved is, is one called Destroying Angels Apocalypse. And it paints them as like a, a cleansing force that occasionally is just released on the galaxy and ah. resets everything. I think there's, I never played them, but I think there's something similar in the Mass Effect games. I think that's the Reapers? Reavers? Something I know the, like ha- that. the Halo Halo games have a similar thing with the Halo rings, where they just kind of like reset everything and go back yeah. to square one. Mm. Yeah, which which we talked about recently, Eric. <laughs> but you know, one of the things that that jumps out at me in this cultist movie idea of yours, Aaron, is that is this concept that there are people who voluntarily submit themselves to the xenomorph or you know whether it's a sacrifice or whether they voluntarily like you know put the face hugger on or you know whatever it is that that part to me seems especially grotesque and and terrifying to be well yeah it's like they volunteer to be you know impregnated with the seed of their lord and and again a lot of that would be down to the visuals of how it would be shot as well i mean there there was a fantastic sequence in John Spates's pre-Prometheus scripts, you know, when it was more of an alien film, and there was this fantastic sequence where David sort of coaxes a face hugger out of an egg, and uses it, kind of like a tortury kind of method, and lets it get on um, who Shaw would be, and I mean, I always said, you know, it sounds, it could be awful, but that kind of stuff could also just be fantastic, depending on how it was shot. Yeah. Yeah, I just, man, this this cultist idea has really got my imagination on fire. Thank you for that, Aaron. Um, <laughs> but er, uh, Eric, what? how will your pitch make the alien as frightening as it should be? There are a couple of things that I'd like to think would, you know, definitely, you know, pay greater respect to the creature than, you know, installments as of late have been. Uh, one thing is, you know, to kind of kind of recapture the spirit of a lot of the movies that inspired it. I mean, Alien is a very very loose remake of a 1950s science fiction movie called It the Terror from Beyond Space. And it basically takes that movie and elevates it into an A picture. And so the idea of like going back to a pod people-like scenario, which is one of the oldest and, you know, still most effective, in my opinion, forms of science fiction horror with movies like Body Snatchers, Invaders from Mars, It Came from Outer Space. And, you know, kind of have this, this, you know, slow careful invasion of a place that should feel safe is what mm-hmm. i'm is what i'm thinking like the idea mm-hmm. that you know the it's still a used future it's still a colony like hadley's hope there aren't like white picket fences or anything like that but the idea that there's something just outside and you know it's you know it's happening but you can't see it so you can't deal with it and then by the time you do see it it's too late to to really fight it all you can do is run Mm-hmm. I, th- I think to kind of create that feeling of powerlessness in the face of this invasion, you know, not have not have big extravagant action sequences with pulse rifles and smart guns. It's just people running because that's all you can do. That's all you can do in isolation is run and hide. Even when you mm-hmm. get the flamethrower, you can't kill the thing. 
So all you can do is run because you, you can't engage it. The only way to win is refuse to engage it. So what is it that excites you guys about the ideas of these movies that we've kind of been pitching, these you know loose to semi-detailed ideas that we have? First, Jess, let me get your reaction to all the ideas that were pitched. What do you think is exciting about them? What's the um, core that gets you? Yeah, the, the cult idea, I like that because that's – you're not really going to get into an alien cult until – the aliens have been around and people know about them and they've, you know, been maybe coming down randomly or coming out from their hive randomly and affecting the populace in a way that obviously in the future we're going to have people that do worship the thing. And it's just strange thing to think about, like a culture of people living in constant fear of this aliens, like the boogeyman, you know, and uh, it, it'd be an interesting setting definitely because the people know what the aliens are they don't know how to defeat them and they're still kind of at their mercy and then you have the more zealot folks creating this cult and maybe they're going out and murdering in the name of the alien and also you know submitting themselves to the alien face huggers to make more aliens it's that's just a really deep <laughs> subject the more you think about it so I think that's really cool. I also really dig the uh, Newton Hicks grown-up idea. That was really cool to explore their PTSD and how, you know, surviving that affected them and seeing it from, from both angles. I think both of those are great ideas. Eric, what excites you about the idea for these movies that we've pitched? Well, I mean, I think one of the, one of the things that obviously excites me the most is, you know, a lot of passion. I mean, everybody, everybody here loves Alien. Mm -hmm. I think Aaron's idea of a cult, you know, that's the, that kind of stuff has actually been dealt with in the comics. And it was always one of the more interesting things in the comics to see these people who were such blind zealots that they willingly shoved their faces into these eggs without a second thought. And the aliens are looking at them like, what the fuck is wrong with these people? <laughs> like like, well, easy there's a great moment in the, in, the, in the original comic series, which predated Alien 3 which actually did feature Hicks and Newt as main characters, where there are this, there's this group of people that find out about this queen in a hangar and they're cultists. They go in to see her and they're like, you know, worshiping her and throwing themselves at her feet. And she is, and if you look at the comic, she is confused. She does not know what the <laughs> fuck is going on. <laughs> she doesn't, but... Uh, well, see, like, what's great about that one as well is that some of them then realize how they fucked up. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Sounds hilarious. Fantastic. But I also think it, what I like about that idea is it recalls one of my favorite lines in Aliens, which is when Ripley basically admits that the alien in some respects is more civilized than people because she says to Burke, you don't see them doing this to each other. They work together. They don't mm -hmm. murder each other. And they don't. And yet we do. So, and, and to kind of see, yeah. see people turning against their own kind and then the alien turning against the people that turn against their own kind. There's a certain type of poetic justice to that, I think. Yeah, that's kind of all you need is just introduce the idea of an alien to the humans and they'll start killing each other. <laughs> As we've seen. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, Aaron, what is it that excites you about uh, any or all of these pitch ideas? I think it's clear from the fact that I think all four of us basically said we wanted to see a... Um you know, sort of overtaking of a populist kind of thing. Mm -hmm. it, it's clear that that is something that is wanted. 
You know, mm. um, you kind of get it in the special edition of Aliens a little bit in terms of what Eric was talking about with, you know, it going from a populated area to then being a ghost town. So I think you'd have to be careful not to replicate Aliens and go a little further with it. Right. So maybe it would be more of a long form kind of thing, you know, establish these locations more than what Aliens did, you know, as, as thriving places mm-hmm. um, with people. And then, you know, slowly less people and less people and, and you, you get the idea. Yeah, I think there's something about that, which is a fulfillment of the promise of the Xenomorphs terrifying capabilities that's always been alluded to. And it's always been part of the stakes of what might happen in these movies. Right. But we never get to with the exception of some just a little bit of stuff, just like you said, and aliens. We don't really get to see that part of what the, the aliens do. Yeah, I, I mean, that's definitely something that that speaks to me as well. Uh, but also, I am really interested in this cultist idea that you brought up, because I think the reason for me that excites me so much is that it does have these themes of, you know, people turning on each other, you know, the pitfalls of blind devotion and all of these things. But I just find it so terrifying that people would submit themselves willingly to such a such a terrifying, unknowable, you know, Lovecraftian horrific force. I mean, it, I guess. it happens all the time. You have, you know, the People's Temple, you have the Manson family, Heaven's Gate cult. Mm-hmm. It's a thing that happens all the time. And it, it, there's something there's something in human nature that makes some people long to be followers rather than free agents. You just need that charismatic leader. And I think that, that would be crutch for my idea mm. is finding the right cast member to do it. Um, I have no idea who that would be, but it, it would be clutch. <laughs> As the charismatic cult leader, you mean, Aaron? Yes, yes. You'd have to be one hell of a charismatic guy oh, to say, Oh, hell, right, oh, here's hell the just deal. call Stompy from Isolation. He's charismatic. <laughs> Look at that smile. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A a smile. Uh, I've seen that smile like, a lot. Here, here's the deal. Before, my this is... <laughs> I, I want to delve just a little deeper into this cult idea. So I want to get Aaron's ideas first and foremost, but obviously anybody can chime in. But Aaron... Who do you think would be the protagonist of this of this movie? Would it be one of the cultists? Would it be somebody from outside? Would it be the cult leader himself? What do you think? See, I have a couple of different possibilities here. So the first of which would be somebody who'd previously not necessarily been involved in this cult, but was deprogrammed from another cult. Because mm. then you get somebody who has been susceptible to you know the same thing that all these other people have 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 been persuaded by Mm. and then it's also a problem of on the character side you know dealing with going back in that environment again you know right it always i'm just obsessed with characters who have some form of ptsd so it it would be you know (laughs) kind kind of building on that again Mm. on from a law side i quite I really want the Colonial Marshals to make a cinematic appearance. This was something else that uh, Isolation introduced to the world. So whether it could then just be somebody investigating... Well, you know, it seems to me that those could be the same person. It could be a Colonial Marshal who happens to have gotten out of a cult at some point previously in their life, and now it's their mission to uh, check out this other cult and see what they're up to, maybe. That's just what occurs to me based on what you uh, just described. Does that Mm. seem consistent? I I think I think it would probably work a bit more Lovecraftian with it being somebody investigating other 
people or the, the disappearances um, oh, stuff okay. like that and it um, turns out there's this cult behind yeah. the scenes working okay yeah. i see so, so whether that that um marshall then is introduced by somebody who's been deprogrammed from that or another cult along the way uh, I, I don't know at this point but a lot of possibilities though right i mean that that's what i love about this premise is it just has my whole imagination on fire yeah, there's just so many different elements you could do with it. I mean, it, whether whether it would be, whether the cult itself, you know, I haven't really figured out for definite what I would want their motivation to be. So, you know, Eric mentioned um, book one, the, the comic earlier, and, you know, they had the Church of Immaculate Conception, I think, was, was their thing. And their agenda was just basically go and get hugged and then re, be reborn. But then I'd also got this thing of perhaps, you know, them being there to trigger the next end, the next cycle, you know, uh, the wiping of the galaxy, the firing of the halo rings, um, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So a lot of it, I guess, would depend on what they were actually trying to do. Right. Well, so for our remaining time in this episode, which I want to start to wrap up really soon, but just a couple more quick questions. And let's focus on two of the story ideas that have come up. And it seems to be the ones that we've really glommed onto, which is A, the cultist idea, and B, the aliens uh, slowly taking over the, you know, large, you know, maybe metropolitan center or colony or whatever. So for those those two pitches, what are your guys' most exciting ideas for scenes or moments or plot points or twists or anything? Uh, and I want to start with Eric. Uh, and then we'll get some reactions, and then we'll go to uh, Aaron. Eric, one of the things that I really want, that I think would be really cool for this idea, is you know really kind of dig into the idea of the bomb under the table, which is you know one of the classic you know examples of mm-hmm. how to create suspense. Which is if you if you tell people the bomb is there, it's a lot more interesting than if you don't tell them because then they know and they're just waiting for it to go off. So f- one of the things that I would love to see in the opening of an alien movie is open it with a face hugger, just straight up open it with a face hugger already out of the egg, going into a populated area, and you know sooner or later the little bastard's going to pop up. You just do not know when. <laughs> like, So that's literally the first thing you see, more or less? The f- first thing, you know, ship crashes, package opens, egg hatches, face hugger comes out, and it goes into this, you know, sea of buildings and vents and crawls into a duct, <laughs> right. and every once in a while some characters will be in front of a vent you'll hear a little shudder you'll be like oh is it coming now and then you don't let it out you don't let it out yet until eventually by like say the 20 minute mark somebody shows up groggy with some weird marks on their face and then we know that they're a ticking mm-hmm, time bomb mm-hmm. you know that kind of thing mm-hmm. just establish it right from the start that this thing is on the loose so whenever somebody so much as walks in front of a ventilation duct you're on edge i love it it totally works for me as well that does and I would even love it if, like, as it first crashes, you know, it's like this rocky, barren expanse. And when you see it, you know, crawl away past the camera, the camera pans, and there, boom, there's like an entire city. So it kind of almost takes you unaware. Uh, but then you do have that bomb ticking under the table. Yeah. Anything else, Eric? A lot of the other stuff was uh, mainly based on character moments. And uh, again, you know, the, the idea could work, you know, well without Hicks and Newt, but I was kind of thinking of it with them. One of the things that I thought would be interesting would be to kind of recall certain events that occurred in Aliens, like have a scene where Hicks is, you know, trying to talk with Newt, the two of them, and you have kind of like, there's kind of like a divide growing between them, and he's trying to like reconnect with her in some way, and they're they're in a bar, and somebody starts frying a burger on a grill, and the sizzling noise 
sets him off Ooh. because he, they, it reminds him of when his armor got splashed and Ripley had to take it off, and he just completely flips out. Oh, yeah. I like that as well. It's <laughs> a good idea. <laughs> or, another, or another scene which, um, which, you know, kind of like cements the divide between them that they have to overcome where there's a... I'm guilty. I like Jaws 2 a lot. <laughs> I love Jaws 2, and there's a great scene in Jaws 2 when when Roy Scheider sees what he thinks is a shark swimming towards a group of swimmers and he fire, he empties his gun into the ocean and it turns out it's just a school of bluefish and then everybody thinks he's crazy. And, you know, mm -hmm. what if, you know, Hicks mm -hmm. had seen things that kind of recalled, you know, the events of Hadley's Hope uh, where somebody, somebody had a wound that might have been a chest bursting, but other people are thinking it was an industrial accident. He starts getting more paranoid and more paranoid to the point mm -hmm. that he finally flips out and shoots at something that turns out to be nothing. Yeah. That's great. And on the flip side of that, I could even envision a scene where he actually is losing it and he's paralyzed in a moment where he does need to act to defend, you know, his or other people's lives. You know, um, I could see that happening as well. And the, uh, the other interesting. Yeah. The other two things are the big, you know, pulling the rug out from underneath the audience moment. And that scene is obviously based on, you know, the moment in, in the 1978 Body Snatchers when Donald Sutherland, Veronica Cartwright and Jeff Goldblum and and Brooke Adams wake up and find that they have just narrowly avoided getting replaced. And then they're on the run and they realize the whole city's after them. And I think a moment mm -hmm. like that where, you know, your, your group of characters narrowly avoid getting face-hugged. And they fight this off and they think they've won the day. And only then do they realize, oh my God, we're alone. They're everywhere. Just, a, the, just that moment of realization and hopelessness is, you know, something that I would love to see in an alien movie. It doesn't sound so bad when you say face-hugged. You know? <laughs> okay, mouth rape. How about that? <laughs> there there we go. That, that sounds appropriately awful. Okay. I think one of the things about, like I mentioned, maybe have the aliens come on Earth. I think just the, having it set in such a large setting would be so crazy. Because think about it. If they get down into the sewers, from there they can go anywhere. It'd be almost mm -hmm. impossible to contain them once they were in the sewers. They'd be coming up through grates. They'd be getting in the subway. They'd be breaking through doors and coming up into office buildings. There's just so many different... And able to uh, enter lots of places unseen as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they'd be down in the basements where people don't go. Oh, something's up with the water heater. Let me go check it out. Yeah. And likewise, <clears throat> you could even trick the audience into thinking there's only one. And then halfway through, you reveal, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Like, really pull the oh, rug out like from that. them. Yeah, oh, that I boiler's like that. been acting up for the last couple of weeks. We better get it and fixed. And somebody goes in there and they just stick. find like a bunch of shed chestburster skins just clogging up the clogging up the aqueduct. And of course, they don't know what it is, but we as the audience, the moment we see those shells, are like, oh my God, oh, this is a much bigger problem yeah. than we thought. And plus, we could have beautiful slow motion scenes of aliens running through uh, Central Park in New York at noon under the sun, just a beautiful day, and just suddenly aliens... <laughs> Just eating children. <laughs> Tro trolling again? No, 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 no. Okay. No one's safe. Aliens don't care. I, th I think that's more your daylight kind of <laughs> eyebrow raised at that one kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I like the I like the aliens sticking to the shadows. I think that cinema, uh, cinematographically, is that the right word? Uh, that That is perhaps a, a better treatment to uh, keep them fearsome. Uh, not to say that I wouldn't run from a gaggle of them running at me in broad daylight. Well, yeah. They're in the uh, trees. 
<laughs> but Aaron, what what are your some of your most exciting ideas for scenes or moments from? Anime? I just I just want to throw one onto Eric's there. Okay, because another thing that excites me about the the whole population center idea is the idea of seeing the alien hive on a much larger scale. One of the things that was originally envisioned in Cameron's early drafts of Aliens was that, you know, when the dropship came down, the atmosphere processor itself, the the exterior was all gunked up and hived up at that point, you know, showing the extent and scale of the infestation. Obviously, we didn't get that in the film, but to see that in, like, this kind of concept, I think, would be really uh, visually striking. To see the scale of what the hive can do, that would be terrible. Yeah, that definitely would be interesting because it goes with the idea of, you know, they're making this into their world. And again, that's actually something you mm. see in the 78 Body Snatchers, which is a film I'm obviously citing a lot because it's a great movie. At the start of the movie, the, the San Francisco is very lush and green and full of life. And as the movie progresses, the plants start dying until by the end, all the plants are dead and the, and the city just seems like a lifeless husk of its former self. And it's kind of like a great complement to the idea of the people being replaced by motionless drones. So the idea of hive growth and secreted resin slowly showing up in patches here and there. People don't know what it is at first. They sweep it up. And then, and then by the end of the film, it's just everywhere because it's their world now. They've taken it over. That would be fantastic. I love it. Very red weedish, as in War of the Worlds as well. Which... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So as we begin to wrap up here, I just want to ask my final question, which is, what is your idea for the best possible ending for these these movies? And again, let's just stick to the two, the population center idea and the uh, the cultist idea. So uh, why don't we start with Jess? Do you have any particular ideas? I know these these ideas didn't originate from you, but I just want to get right. your take on it really quick. Well, obviously, no alien movie is worth anything unless we're guaranteed another four alien movies after that. So I think it's got to end with uh, someone getting impregnated or a face hugger running off. So leave it. Well, there. there is something about the horror genre that, you know, identifies a remaining threat at the end, even if the heroes have seen it. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't want to lose the thing that I am terrified of. You know, I want, I, I want another face hug in the future. Um, no, I, I think it's, it's really hard. Like you said, especially in the horror genre, how can there truly be an end? Because, the aliens are still out there. They might be coming right now. But uh I don't know. That's a that's a tough tough question to answer. Fair enough. Why don't we uh why don't we go to Eric and we'll end with Aaron. Well, I uh one of the things I love about, you know, the first two alien movies is as merciless as they are, they still kind of let the audience off the hook at the end in a way that doesn't feel like a cheat. Like it doesn't feel like they they pulled the punches because you feel like you earn the end, you earn the breath at the end. It's like when the roller coaster mm-hmm. ends, you can finally take a breath and relax. And I think an ending like that would be very appropriate. You know, don't pull any punches during the during the bulk of the story, but you know when you get to that third act, you know, have and have your characters kind of fight through it. Have them do it in a way that feels honest, and that it doesn't feel like you're you know just letting them off the hook for the sake of doing it. And you know. I'd kind of teased what would be the I- ideal ending for, you know, the idea that I pitched, which would be, you know, Hicks and Newt find a way to reach a kind of equilibrium when it comes to dealing with their trauma. You know, Newt learns to look at it, face it, not deny it anymore. And Hicks learns that, you know, this one event in his life doesn't have to be the one thing that defines him. He can turn away and it's not 
disrespectful to those he lost and you know them kind of reaching that middle ground and finally learning to take that those first steps to hopefully a better future but after be after much trial and tribulation of course <laughs> yes much much indeed okay aaron what do you think it depends on how much the studios offered me for another film afterwards <laughs> um fair enough but because of how much i like the brutal nature of alien 3 and the end of covenant i'd be quite inclined to give the cultists some measure of success in what they did mm-hmm. so whether that's um somehow initiating a small scale infestation around multiple colony worlds and it then being our heroes having to then move on to deal with that in the next sequel or whatever or mm-hmm. giving them some measure of success in this film and then ending them there i'd still want it to be to come at a cost and, and a high cost mm-hmm. but other than that no i don't i don't really know how i would end i would end the concept well if you look at other horror movies that involve cults it almost only makes sense that the cult they may get some success along the way but i think in the end the cult has to be taken out by the alien. You know, that, that almost seems like the way it I think always at least much of the cult should probably fall prey to the alien, but I do love this idea that they find some measure of success, even if none of them survive, right? right? Maybe they their success is just in, as Aaron mentioned, you know, initiating some infestations on, on different places, right. where I wonder if it has to be any bigger than just, like, a few cultists making it out alive with a single egg, you know, in their escape craft. Um, well, too, also, I mean, if you think about, like, the gestation time of a period, maybe these people that voluntarily let themselves get hugged in and around their face, you know, they they get that, and then they go to the airport, and they all get on different planes, and they, because you got how many hours, I mean, what's the gestation um, period? Yeah, it varies depending on plot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, that'd be. Couldn't have said it better. If the aliens are only in one part of the world and their plan is to spread them around, yeah, that's kind of like the Twelve Monkeys ending, yeah. right? I'm speaking of the movie here. Yeah, sending <laughs> the all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, this has been a really exciting time for me, guys, and I've really enjoyed listening to all of these sequel pitches for the Alien franchise. And I'm sure that there are many hours of conversations that could be had about this and, you know, any installment of the Alien franchise. But unfortunately, we're going to have to wrap it up. But I do want to make sure you guys give our audience uh, your information where they can find you online. So Aaron, can you can you give the audience your details and where they can see you and what uh, what you want them to see online? Uh, sure. So, like was mentioned earlier, I, I co-run a website called Alien vs Predator Galaxy, avpgalaxy.net. That's the general hub of all our activities and content. You know, if you're still living in the 2000s, we have a old school forum message board, um, which does a lot better uh, on my nerves and OCD than a Facebook group does. Yeah, I'm um, on the page right now. It's it's huge. You guys have tons of stuff on here. We've been. <laughs> 16 17 years i think wow i run a podcast there we hit episode 100 recently and we've only really been doing it with any 
genuine sort of frequency the last three or four years, once or twice a month. So it's not mega frequent, but you're guaranteed one episode a month. And what's the name of that podcast? It's just the um, Alien vs Predator Galaxy podcast. Okay. On the right hand side, down the on the main page, down the middle somewhere, there'll be the last few episodes and stuff like that. And that's also available on all your, all your usual um, podcast channels: iTunes, uh, Google Play, uh, Spotify, Podbean, I think. Fantastic. And then me personally. Oh, um, all, we all have socials on everything as well. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. It's either AVP Galaxy or Alien vs Predator Galaxy versus as in VS dot. And me personally, I'm on Twitter as underscore Corporal Hicks. And that's <laughs> that's my alias. Nice. So that's Alien, Stargate, Halo, general sci-fi, Star Trek, Airsoft, all that kind of personal nerdiness that's a bit outside of just AVP. Nice. Fantastic. Thanks, Aaron. Okay, so avpgalaxy.net. Visit it. Visit it now. Visit it often. Okay, Eric, why don't you uh, give the listeners your details? All right. Well, once again, everybody, it's a pleasure to be back. Let's see. I write uh, frequently for Screen Hub Entertainment. That's our little our little film critique page on uh, WordPress. We're also a, we're, you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We publish articles weekly. I myself, and as per my New Year's resolution, I'm trying to get a new article out every week. Hopefully that'll go well. But yeah, absolutely. You know, check check out our page on WordPress and follow us on Twitter and Instagram, Screen Hub Entertainment. You know, we we got new material coming out on a weekly basis. We would be happy if you came and visited us. Thanks again, Eric. I just want to thank our listeners for listening. And if you enjoyed this or any of our other episodes, please head on over to the Apple Podcast Store and or your platform of choice and give us a five-star rating or review. That really does help the show out a lot, guys. And Jess, do you want to finish up with our social media details? I sure do. But before I do that, I want to leave everyone with a few words that we can all relate to. Game over, man. Game over. What are we going to do now, oh, man? What are, we gonna uh, do? what are we going to do? What are we going to do? It's one of my favorite parts of the movie. Why don't we uh, build? build I mean, come on. Let's just build a fire and sing a couple of songs. Huh? Come on. Why don't we try that? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Marines, gather around. Uh, you can find us at mechadragon.net, and our podcast is available anywhere podcasts are available. Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, CastBox, Stitcher, everywhere else. If you're on Facebook, you find us as Mechadragon. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Mechadragon Show. Questions, comments, co- corrections, or topics you want to hear about, hit us up at mechadragonshow at gmail.com. And we will see you in the future. Thanks again, everybody. It's Captain Will signing out. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Our music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0, creativecommons.org, slash licenses, slash buy, slash 3.0.